I'm Henry Lin, and welcome to Better Worlds. Better Worlds is an exploration of badass people doing really cool things. The more we know about this world, the better we can do in changing it. You have huge power as a consumer to vote with your dollars, vote with your time on what products you choose to spend your money on. Try a new product. Try something that is on the shelf and looks interesting and check it out. And maybe it's great and it becomes part of your daily diet. Maybe it's not great, but it puts you on a journey to try the next product or the next one. That just desire to take those steps. Um, it doesn't have to be an enormous seismic shift in kind of how you live your life, but small changes you make by meaningfully and mindfully selecting products that are more sustainable, products that are locally produced, products that come from companies that have sustainability and have improving the food system as core of, or as a piece of, of what they do, that does have an impact. And with us today, a strong replacement for Max Moynian, who I miss dearly, who I believe is still at COP28, Lena from refood.vc. Food is a big problem. One of the largest contributors to global emissions and a number of different side effects, including chemical runoff, including mistreatment of waste and water streams. The list goes on and on and on. And you can check out episodes, I believe, 37 and 38 for our conversations with Farm Journal that are very insightful. But today we have one of the foremost venture investors in the solutions. Lena is with Refood VC. They are a for-profit evergreen investment firm driven by the mission to help entrepreneurs solve the most pressing food system challenges for future generations. They view the much-needed food system reformation as the most significant business opportunity of our time. Lena, welcome to the pod. Thanks, Henry. Great to be here. Sick. So in pre-production, I noted the fact that you had the wonderful Bob haircut of one of the mermaids in Peter Pan in the lagoon, and you immediately identified as a lost boy. That pretty much told me everything I needed to know about you, which is amazing. So if you could tell us how your background in wherever it was, Rufio or otherwise, got you to this place and got you to solve this challenge, we'd love to hear a little bit about you first and then about what the company is doing to solve the greater global challenge of our food fuckery systems. Absolutely. Well, um, maybe the place to start is I grew up running around the backwoods of New Hampshire, so I definitely identify a lot with the Lost Boys and, um, <laughs> you know, like to be out there getting my hands dirty and exploring and, and really trying to understand. Slingshots. Slingshots too. Bows and arrows and slingshots. Yeah, made, made a lot of those. Um, Traps for Captain Hook all day. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, that's where it all started. But uh, fast forward many, many years and, and I, um, you know, almost went into a career in biology, molecular and cell biology. I was fascinated by what at the cellular level makes it possible for us to be sitting here today, living, breathing, talking to each other, um, just blew my mind that we could even be functioning. Uh, and then realized that a career in the life sciences wasn't for me and, and became very fascinated with this intersection of innovation and financing and the need for money and capital and investment and financing to really be able to lift an innovation out of someone's brain out of a lab, out of, you know, a small company and grow it to the point where it could have a global impact. Um, so that was that was oscillating around in my mind. I had a stint uh, working in wealth management, really learning the ins and outs of the entire investment industry, all asset classes. And the piece that it just re kept resonating was this idea of any investment we make is going to have a positive impact 
some positive impacts, some negative impacts. Some will be more positive, some will be less, uh, more negative. Why in the world, as we're trying to maximize financial return, wouldn't we also be trying to maximize impact return and make every investment we make as impactful as possible, as positive for planet and people as possible? So being in the space of sustainable finance and impact investing, I, I knew that was the part of this investment industry I wanted to work at. Not really knowing how to get into that, I you know, went to business school, as, as some people do, and through business school, learned so much about that investment space, but really learned more about the food system. And I think that's what got me here today. Like That business school experience introduced me to food as both a major contributor to a number of the challenges that we're facing as a world, as a society, but also the huge potential of the food system to be a solution and a driver for change. First introduction to that was through an internship with a firm focused on scaling regenerative agriculture. I did not know what regenerative agriculture was when I submitted my application, so I was Googling it and trying to learn as much as I could before the first interview and and somehow uh, was able to to get the role. Uh, And then just everything took off from there. And, And I fell in love with this idea of soil health and of the soil as a living ecosystem that we can steward and we can take care of. And by doing so, we create so many positive benefits and co-benefits that can drive really meaningful change. In 2019, we did a soil series and fell in love with soil as well. We love the soil conversations. Soil is so cool. It's a really, really cool thing. Um, And I love to eat. Yeah. Who doesn't love food? Who doesn't? And I want to make sure that food is around uh, for me and for my children and my children's children, you know, into the future uh, that we that we have access to wonderful, healthy, good food, food we can love, food. food we enjoy. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so I, uh, you know, through business school, met ReFood and ReFood is investing in category changing companies that are solving structural problems in the food system. And it was really just a kind of perfect union of my interest in sustainable finance and and in looking for these impactful investment opportunities, investing in innovations, taking them out of you know the small and, and into the large, and then all, doing all of that in the food system. While we glossed over this very quickly, the challenge with the food system is that about a third of all human-caused greenhouse gas emissions are in some capacity linked to food, according to the United Nations and the U.S. Department of Agriculture. It's the production, transportation, and handling of the food which generates the carbon dioxide. More importantly, much of that excess food ends up in landfills and creates our methane, which is just crushing us. So I would love to hear a little bit more about the solutions that you have along the verticalization of that stack. Um, and where you guys invest and, you know, sort of where you see the low-hanging fruit and and the immediate solutions. Absolutely. Um, I think what's what's key about the refood approach is that we invest across the entire food system because we see it as a system. Each part is interconnected. You can't look at food waste without looking at agricultural production and you can't look at you know, diet health without looking at, at, you know, nutrient density of the soils we have. So the way that we sort of reached uh, the, the root of and foundation of our approach is what we call the refood circle, which is looking at the planetary boundary conditions, the environmental conditions that sort of need to be true in order to sustain life on Earth. We need to be within greenhouse gas limits. We need to be within responsible use of nutrients like phosphorus and nitrogen, water, cropland use. Uh, We need to maintain biodiversity. I'm forgetting one of them. Oh, um, ocean use is, is the seventh one. And then we also need to make sure that the food system is not pushing us outside those boundaries 
but still meeting the needs of society. And within that social piece, we think about four key facets. One of them is animal welfare. We also look at decent work for all in the system, making sure that the system is creating equitable access to, to profit and to sort of benefit. Uh, nutritious diets, and zero hunger, really ending hunger and making sure that everyone has access to healthy and, and, and nutritious food. So that outer condition and inner circle, you know, really define the, the place we're trying to be or where we're trying to keep our food system in this sort of inner inner piece. Uh, and, and this work is, is driven by or informed by the Stockholm Resilience Center and research that's been done there, also by the Eat Lancet Commission's report on food in the Anthropocene, which identified key shifts that can happen in our food system to bring our diets closer to one that is healthy for us and healthy for the planet. So these shifts that need to happen, uh, we distilled them down into four thematic areas where we invest and those cut across the food system. So we look at healthy diets, uh, which is anything that can improve the nutrient density of the foods that are on our plates, as well as making sure that there is equitable access to healthy foods for everybody. So that when we're eating, you know, health in our diets is a default, not something that we have to seek out and pay more for like we do today in many parts of the world. We think about soil health. And so healthy soils, uh, what are we growing our food in? And is what we're growing our food in, uh, you know, positive for nutrient density, positive for the planet, uh, or is it being degraded and destroyed by our agricultural practices? One thing about the food system, you mentioned the one-third of global greenhouse gas emissions is completely true and, and you know, something that we need to address. We can't achieve our one-and-a-half-degree targets without looking at the food system. But it's not just about reducing emissions from the food system. It's also about sequestering emissions from other systems, impossible to abate or very difficult to abate emissions. And our soil is a really, really important resource and tool that we can use for that. So healthy soils is our, our second theme. Um, that's everything that can help our transition towards using fewer uh, synthetic-based and, and chemical-based uh, inputs, um, making sure we're growing seeds that are suited for the changing environment and for the farms of the future, making sure that growers have the tools and the financial resources uh, and are supported in transitioning to more sustainable practices. Then um, in between, you know, what's on our plate, which is kind of healthy diets and, and what's on our fields, which is healthy soils, there's the entire supply chain. So we have a sustainable supply chains theme that looks at food waste and food loss along the supply chain and tries to find ways to reduce it at all points, really, but kind of focusing more on the up or on the downstream side of what happens to food after we buy it. So consumer plate waste is a huge issue, um, but also what happens at the retail level and making sure that food that's been produced and packaged and, and you know, made into, into the sort of final product is not then wasted. The sustainable supply chains theme, though, is not just food waste. It's also plastic uh, use, which is you know, rampant in our food system. It's impossible to eat food these days without touching plastic. Uh, and that plastic is incredibly harmful, both the emissions created when it's produced, uh, as well as the downstream impacts it has as it degrades into microplastics or, you know, doesn't degrade, but just lasts forever and ever in our in our systems and our oceans. And, and greenhouse gas emissions along the supply chain, obviously, is, is something that we uh, look to address there. And our final theme uh, is we call it sustainable proteins and fats. And here, recognizing that animal agriculture is one of the leading contributors to this you know, greenhouse gas emissions problem and to the downstream impacts from runoff, 
the impacts on our health from antibiotic usage, uh, to say nothing of the incredibly harmful conditions that many of these animals are raised in, which really violate that animal welfare goal we have. We are interested in investing in innovations that can scale up productions of alternative protein sources, whether that's plant-based, cultivated, fermented. However, we can get more protein that at its root comes from you know, plants and not animals. Uh, we want to support that. So that's, that's our investment universe. And it really does touch the entire food system, all pieces of it. And we really see these themes as interconnected and, and sort of driving each other. And, and you need them all in order to shift this food system away from the harmful thing it is today towards something that can be positive for people and planet. Amazing. What in uh, your investment thesis has been the thing that you guys are most proud of? Uh, where are some of the places that you've invested where you feel like you've done the most impact? That's a tough question. It's like asking someone to pick their favorite child. I mean, I think we're, we're proud of everything in our portfolio. Um, so I'll give you some examples. And, and maybe just to unpack kind of how we do this a bit more. So uh, those themes, they're still pretty broad. So for each theme, we've, we've broken them down further into what we call segments, which are kind of innovation areas that we then prioritize based on the root cause problems. And I like to think of this in the framing of what is keeping this from scaling and how can right. we break that down by right. an innovation? So, like, let's take sustainable proteins and fats, for example. Um, you know, there's, there's knowledge that we need to scale up the amount of protein we consume that doesn't come from animals. But there are huge and real barriers to that, um, to consumer adoption of these alternative protein sources. So to break down that barrier, you know, first have to understand why the barrier exists. A big factor is taste and texture. You know, we want these products to be as good or better than the animal-based products. Uh, at the same time, though, we need to have cost parity. So we need to make sure that they can be produced and sold to consumers for just as much or even less than the animal, uh, animal protein products. And in order to do that, there need to be technological innovations that sort of support the scale-up of the sustainable protein space. So we've invested in a few companies that we, we believe are really going to be instrumental to this. Um, we have a plant-based company, a company making plant-based proteins that are really revolutionary in making big strides in the taste and texture of the products and making them craveable and, and, and not just, oh, this is exactly like a chicken breast, but really this is something that I am so satisfied to sit down to put on my table to feed to my family and, and can really be proud of. We've invested in a company that is really focusing on the taste piece and then the fat as a carrier of taste. I mean, fat adds so much taste and texture to the products that we eat. And it's something that can often be lacking when you're, in a, when you're looking at a plant-based product. And so this company is using uh, cultivation to produce fats. Which company is that? This company is called Mission Barns. They're based in the Bay Area. And so they're using a, a cultivation technology to produce animal equivalent fat without harming animals. Uh, and then putting that into, into a variety of products that can, can really blow your mind with kind of how good they are. Right. But um, so that, that kind of looks at the taste piece. But then we looked at this cost piece and we said, what really needs to happen to break down the cost barrier? Uh, a big issue in the food industry and, and then the precision fermentation for functional food ingredients and for protein space is fermentation capacity. And literally, it's like there isn't enough big metal tanks to ferment 
products in in order to produce every all of the products that we will need for a more sustainable economy that's based on synthetic biology instead of on you know chemistry like we have today, um, right. fossil fuel based chemistry largely. So what needs to happen in order to expand the amount of you know, tank space we have, but or help us use it much, much more efficiently. And so we've invested in a company that has a novel fermentation technology that can drastically improve the output of a fermentation run, um, able to do this continuously, um, able to drive down, you know, drive up the efficiency and really drive down the cost and kind of not just have incremental change, but really exponential change in the sort of efficiency of a production process. Scale challenges, again, yeah. Scale challenges, exactly, yeah. yeah. And um, so that's that's an, like an example of, of how we sort of looked at this precision fermentation space, um, looked at the, the sustainable protein and fat space and said, what needs to happen in order for this to scale? And how can we make targeted investments in specific companies that, um, that can allow us to scale it? I also noticed that you have an investment in one of my favorite companies of all time, being the lovely, basic 32-year-old white girl that I am indefinitely live, laugh, love, Oatly. Yes. Yes. So. Love them. Love their work. Love them. I mean, who doesn't? They really started something. And I think they what they were they instrumental it. in sort of the starting of ReFood. Um, so that's one thing, but more so this huge sort of shift in how we think about dairy uh, and what dairy right. is in, you know, in, in many parts of the world. So um, yeah, absolutely love what they do. Uh, they were an original investment by the family office that kind of is part of the, the founding story of ReFood and, and part of sort of the first iteration of ReFood and really embody, I guess, what we're trying to do, which is invest in category changing companies, companies that literally create or define or, or change an entire category uh, and do so with an explicit goal to make the food system more sustainable and, and really have that at the core and at the sort of um, center of, of what they what they focus on. Love Oatly. So there's a lot of really great companies here. If you go take a look at uh, the website in the portfolio, and I noticed that there's no shortage of companies that are to some extent consumer facing. Do you guys invest heavily in some of the back end systems? With ag tech, soil health and measurement, and and and, or uh, and deep tech in in that capacity, or is it mostly towards things which touch consumers directly? Uh, we we'll do the whole range. Um, yeah, no preference because obviously the consumers are an important piece of changing the food system. But in order to get those products to market, oftentimes you need a lot to happen on the back end. So we have no um, objections to investing in the infrastructure and in the support and in the inputs that go into like an agricultural system, whether that's seeds or soil inputs or um, equipment or even financial inputs. We've invested in a carbon credit platform that is trying to improve the financial services provided to a grower and especially a grower who has made a commitment to transition away from a conventional agricultural system towards a more sustainable one. We, so we, we see sort of that ingredients and the inputs and the, the infrastructure uh, as an emerging theme in most, in all of our themes and as, as areas of real interest and places to have real impact. And maybe it's, it's not as public facing as the Oatly's of the world and, and that's okay. And that's not the goal of these companies, but. Oatly's sexy as fuck. It's just, I mean, yeah, it's, hard, hard to beat that marketing. Um, right. It's definitely, definitely they something won. that 
they won. Yeah, they're they're really crushing it there. But that's not what necessarily what we go and look for. We really go out and look for the the companies that can be part of scaling a solution um, okay. and solving a structural problem. So let's dig directly into what we think consumers can do, because of course. Consumers should be aware of all of not only the problem, but some of the solutions that are available to them and how they can invest. So whether or not it's, you know, choosing a better meat alternative because some of the lab grown is trash and some of it's not, or, you know, just becoming that basic bitch that orders her flat white with Oatly, let's go all day, Oatly me. Uh, Whatever the case is, there's a knowledge barrier here, right? So there's a, hey, you should educate yourself on all these fun things. And maybe you guys do a sub stack or you do like a really cute Instagram or you dress as a lost boy reviewing all the really cool things that you love. Who knows? But um, what are outside of that education piece, right? Because I, I know it's important. I acknowledge it. and We should talk about some of the resources that you guys have for that education piece. Never mind just talking to a bunch of handsome devils with podcasts like Better World. But, you know, more so what your bread and butter daily thing is. But outside of that, what are what are some of the actions and the behaviors that uh, that you identify that you really want to see embodied within our average consumer slash listener? Mm, that's a really good question. I mean, I think it starts with education, just being aware of the problem. And you don't need to become an expert. You don't need to go deep into, you know, every single facet of it and, and be the person who comes up with the solution. If you do, that's great. Please email me. Do you have a blog? Do you have your own podcast? You should have your own blog and podcast. <laughs> we don't have our own podcast. We do have a website, arefood.vc. And, and uh, uh, within that, you can find a website we've created that really goes deep into our investment approach and into the key issues and challenges we're seeing in the food system. And then the solutions we're prioritizing as areas of innovation to invest in to address them. Uh, that You can find that at solvable.refood.vc which relates to kind of how we describe all this in the term food is solvable. But I think consumers, I mean, you have huge power as a consumer to vote with your dollars, vote with your time on what products you choose to spend your money on. And it might sound simple to say, oh, um, eat plant-based uh, or try, try, try that new product. But honestly, that can be impactful. Try a new product. Try something that um, is on the shelf and looks interesting and, and check it out. And maybe it's great. And it becomes part of your daily diet. Maybe it's not great, but it puts you on a journey to try the next product or the next one. That just desire to take those steps. Um, it doesn't have to be an enormous seismic shift in kind of how you live your life, but small changes you make um, by really meaningfully and mindfully selecting products that are more sustainable, products that are locally produced, um, products that come from companies that have sustainability and have improving the food system as the core of or as a piece of, of what they do, that does have an impact. We talk a lot about the interrelated systems and the changes that need to happen, not just in innovation, but also in, for example, the investment industry, in the regulatory space, in policy, uh, in, in the healthcare system. And all these things need to come together to scale up these shifts in the food system. And all those are looking to the individual consumers on an aggregated scale for signals of, hey, improving food and making it healthier and more nutritious and, and better for the planet is something that we want. When corporations see that, when these other systems see that, if they see that big demand, they will make those changes because ultimately they need those consumers uh, in order to, to survive. So 
feel free to check out our website. Um, we're, we're doing our best to sort of stay on top of the latest and the most innovative in this space. Uh, and then really- Well, let's talk about consumption behavior yeah. for those, uh, those new solutions that you have, because there's this idea that adoption is one of the bigger challenges of some of this stuff for scale. So I look at things like Beyond Burger, right? Beyond was one of the first burgers I ever tried, but like, how did it get to the point where I actually tried them? And how did I know it was safe? How was it mainstream enough? And did I just rely on Whole Foods and, and, and? But perhaps one of the things that we can point and can encourage consumers to do is to understand some of these solutions, regardless of wherever you research and find them, and be open to the adoption and, uh, and the trying of uh, said solution. So are there like three or four of your you know, sort of top picks of companies that people might not have tried? Because everyone's tried Oatly in the flat way, right? Sure. Um, yeah. But what are the next sort of things that you can encourage folks to adopt? Well, I would say uh, I want to plug a lot of companies in our portfolio, but many of them, you know, are still still small and, and not don't necessarily have products in the market. Um, ones that do, I mean, we have a company called Nix that's making better for you ice creams and and treats, and you know, food is crazy. I saw that, and you know, there, it's a real barrier to try to tell somebody eat healthy, and you only give them options that are gross. <laughs> yeah, not tasty. Right. So rather than than shaming for still craving those sweet indulgences, why not make the indulgences better and, and less harmful on our health? And that's kind of the, the thesis behind Nix. We have companies that um, depends on a bit on where you are. Uh, so if you're in Europe, we have companies that are addressing you know, food waste and food loss, a company called Motsmart that is saving products that would otherwise go to waste and providing them at a discount. And that really makes sense for oh. you know the planet. It makes sense for the consumer because you're being able to, to buy ingredients yep. and buy foods that you know, are cheaper than where you find them otherwise. And, and it makes sense for their their partners, these the, the retailers that would otherwise have to waste those products. So finding those solutions that really benefit kind of all stakeholders and, and are elegant solutions that can really scale um, scale and impact is, is something that we look for. Down in, if you're you're you know on the West Coast like me, there's a company uh, we've backed called Every Table that is providing nutrient dense, healthy foods for consumers. Right now, they're in the Los Angeles area, and there, and and this food is so delicious and crafted really with the mindset that healthy food should be accessible. Uh, it should not be just for people who have more money, but it should be something that anybody is right. able to afford and able to access and, and really working that kind of social ethos and the, the ethos of healthy food and, and nutritious food into every part of this company. Um, I so admire what they're doing and, and what they're trying to achieve with healthy, you know, affordable grab and go meals that anyone can afford. So finding those companies, finding companies like the ones I've talked about and like others in our portfolio and in, in many other portfolios, many that are out there that are providing those solutions and doing it in a way that is really reaching out to consumers and saying, please, you know, here's what we have and we really want you to take advantage of it and we really think it would benefit you. It's not just good for the planet, but it really is good for the consumer as well. And, and that's really, I think, where we can find scalable change happening because without the consumer demand, you don't get very far uh, if you're if you're a product company. Mm. Okay, so out of curiosity, are there any things on the legislative lobbying? Are, are there really important issues that you think, like you know, cover crop subsidies for farmers? that our average consumer and listener should know about? 
Uh, well, one one timely topical thing, I guess, uh, COP28, you know, big topic these days. Really, in previous iterations of this conference, there's not been that much conversation around food and agriculture and its place in the climate conversation. Um, but this year, there was, right. you know, a declaration on sustainable agriculture uh, and climate action. Um, and I think it was 158 countries, don't quote me on that, but, you know, Many, many countries signed on to this and kind of committed to this declaration to include sustainable agriculture in the climate conversation and in how their their country is going to reach right. net zero. And it's wonderful. It's so admire this declaration and that that these countries are willing to to kind of step up to this. And then the next phase is how are you going to put it into practice? How are you going to actually develop a strategy as a country for shifting diets towards sustainable, healthy production and consumption? And so I think, Anyone listening to this podcast uh, should be mindful of what their own country, their own region is doing to promote healthy, sustainable food systems um, and kind of getting involved even at the local level and then seeing how that can scale from the local level to, you know, a, a you know, county or, or state level and then into a nationwide level. And, and even beyond that to something like the EU and their form, farm to fork strategy, uh, really understanding what the legislators are pushing for and then how that will impact your consumption, what you have available to you to consume, and making choices that align with the strategy that, that your you know, government is committing to, um, and really kind of pushing and supporting your right. legislation to, to, to push toward that. It's a cool time to be kind of following the food space. There's really a lot going on and a lot to pay attention to. And, and so I just encourage everybody to don't just think of food as what's on your plate, but really, really be mindful of food's place in the climate conversation and the social conversation right. and what we all can be doing to improve the food system. Thank you very, very much for all of this insight. And I happen to think you are an incredible speaker and should have your own TED Talk. But that's a conversation for later or a talk for later. I greatly appreciate you taking the time. And I look forward at some point to seeing Nick's or whichever of you know your next big great companies take off and take its position alongside the Opies of the world. So shout out to also all the Lost Boys out there. Let's go. Shout out to the last boys. Yeah, let's go. Let's go. Um, I greatly believe that the problem that you guys are solving is one of the most important in climate. We ourselves work in consumer packaged goods, which is adjacent to food and touches food. So the manner in which we eat and consume is at the fundamental basis of the things that we need to correct in, in order to make this world better. So thank you for that, of course, as well. I am Henry Lin, and this has been another episode of Better World. Please join us again next time where you can learn how to make the world better.